This week's episode of the Weekly General Meeting podcast is brought to you by the Vodafone Comedy Festival, taking place in the Ivy Gardens, Dublin from July 28th until July 31st. 80 amazing international and homegrown acts in five fully seated indoor venues over four hopefully sunny summer days. This is the 10th year of this stunning event in Ireland's gorgeous Ivy Gardens. I've performed a couple of times at this festival and I can say hand on my heart that this is a very special uh, festival indeed. This is really the comedy event in Ireland this year that will give you that mix of those big name comedians that you already know and love. Uh, People like David O'Doherty, Maeve Higgins, Foil Arms and Hog, but also brilliant acts that you probably haven't managed to see before like current SNL uh, cast members this year's Ameda, Broad City's Chris Gethard or College Humor's Jake and Amir. They're all going to be there. So if you are into your comedy, you need to check this out. Tickets are available right now from VodafoneComedy.com. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Weekly General Meeting, episode 17. Yeah, first episode back of series two. Are you excited? I am very excited. Not least because today's guest is somebody that we wanted to get for ages that I think I, like a lot of Irish people, idolise this man. Yeah, and it definitely comes across in your interview. Does it really? I, I, <laughs> I, haven't, I didn't listen back to it. No, really. it's, it's, it's okay. Is it embarrassing? No, it was more, it was more sort of uh, visual in the room. I don't think it comes across necessarily on the... Uh, it was more the longing gazes you gave him. I... I really like him. I think great. he's great. Yeah, he's great. He's um, and I really tried to impress him and failed. You know, I, I would, like I really wanted him to like me. Yeah, but I think he did. did Despi- he? Despite all that, I think he did. <laughs> uh, we're talking, of course, about uh, Father Ted, writer, the IT crowd creator, um, or, uh, Kent Arthur Strong, uh, Graham Lennon, basically, uh, basically any guy who's been involved in pretty much everything that's been funny over the last... 15 years certainly yeah for years. for you and I Shane and I have been obsessed with comedy since we were kids and uh, we went to Cubs together we used to do little sketches and talk about the Mary Whitehouse experience which was yeah I have a little conf- confession to make that when we were talking about that I didn't I hadn't watched any episodes at that point but I played along because I kind of I, like you this is the chain of wanting to impress people like you wanted to impress Graham and at that point I wanted to impress you I've since watched a lot of Mary White's experience but at the time I may what? have overplayed my how much of it I'd seen before I am so disgusted are you kidding me that can't be true why because you weren't that good an improviser at <laughs> 8 years old that's why <laughs> I, people do that kids do that all the time so I'd come in and go oh did you see that sketch where he goes milky milky <laughs> and you'd go oh yeah I probably saw the milky milky sketch my sister used to watch it and I used to sort of I might have caught bits but I, 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 do, I, I probably did overplay how, how comedy cool guy I was is that okay? Well, we'll talk about it afterwards, but in the meantime, uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, interview with uh, Graham Linnan, which was one of a series we did in the 100 Club in Oxford Street, which was awesome. It's a really yeah. famous punk music venue. Yeah, this was done actually, this was done a few months ago because we are disorganised. Um, so, um, but yeah, it was a really great chat. You, you, had a great, you had a great time with him in the end on stage and uh, I think everyone there really enjoyed it so now hopefully everyone now listening to the podcast will also really enjoy it so this is uh, Neil's interview with the wonderful Graeme Linehan 
I've just realized that uh, <laughs> last time we had a show here, there's two, there's like these two chairs, right? There's the chair, which is your standard chair. If anyone was anyway nervous interviewing someone, a classic chair, nothing to worry about. Sturdy, wood, it's been around for a while. Punk venue, probably robust. And then there's this chair, which over a, a period of time will result in the person sitting in it uh, slipping and sliding and uh, generally looking foolish. Um, so I want you to know the background to any awkwardness on my part for this next section of the show. It's not down to the guest, uh, although the guest is formidable in his or her his achievements. Um, and certainly someone I am a fan of. But I am a professional. Despite everything you've seen so far tonight, I am good at this. And if I run out of things to say, if I make a mistake, unlikely, but if I make a mistake, I want you to know that it's probably down to the fact that I forgot to get the other good chair. And I'm probably self-conscious about the chair. That said, it probably won't matter as much what I do, say, think, fall off for the next half hour or so, because our next guest is uh, a real honor and a privilege for us to invite onto stage. Uh, he is a writer um, who is responsible for decades worth of some of the best comedic television ever created, written, performed, directed, produced, production designed, Sold to emerging markets, adapted for the same emerging markets. Um, uh, it, this is probably unlike any other introduction that he's ever got. Um, but let's, let's list a few things that he's involved with so that you can go, oh, they're good. Those things are good. This thing isn't great. But maybe when he talks, it'll be more, more like the good things. Uh, he has been involved in Smith & Jones. Great show. Great show. Uh, Black Books, also a really great, Smith and Jones, Black Books, Big, cool. Big Train, Father Ted, IT Crowd, Count Arthur Strong, and a host of other awesome things. It's my privilege and pleasure to introduce to you all tonight, Mr. Graham Linehan. It's not going to be a break now. <laughs> um, thank you very much for coming, Graeme. No worry. I thought at some Hello. stage you'd offer to sit in this chair. <laughs> That's okay. No, I'm fine. This is good. It's a sturdy one, as you say. Um, if you don't mind, I know we didn't talk about the format. We might have a bit of a conversation. The format? There's, there is a format. Well, yeah, I guess. Talk about the format of this show. This show, yeah. I don't know enough about it. No. Um, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. There wasn't a lot of thought put into the format. Um, but at some stage, you'll have a chance to ask questions. Um, that stage being at the end, I'm going to ask some questions, and then you can ask some questions. Um, traditionally, when we've had guests at these nights, we've, um, we've asked people for advice and whatnot. But um, I always thought it was... Uh, this is really weird for me, because I uh, know quite a bit of your background. But for the sake of context, yeah. I would love to know uh, your take on how you broke into the industry. Um, you started off in Hot Press. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, started off as a journalist and um, then started writing sketches with Arthur and, uh, and then Father Ted was a huge success. Cool. <laughs> Good night, so thanks very much. Um, but you moved over to London after a period of time of being a music journalist. You worked for Q and Select yeah. magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, made, what was it that made you move into comedy, into writing TV, or was that something that you always did on the side? I think it was kind of a... I think I was kind of pushed out of music journalism to some extent in that when I came over and started writing for Select, there was a rule that I didn't know about, which was they didn't want you to use the word I. Like, I thought this and I thought that. They wanted to get rid of that. And... Um, that wasn't my style. My style was kind of based on, you know, uh, New Yorker essays and stuff that, you know, I was a big fan of Woody Allen at the time and um, his kind of comic writing. And that used to use, put the writer at the centre of things, making fun of himself. And as soon as I wasn't able to make fun of myself, I lost my voice as a journalist. So, um, so Arthur, we'd written a few sketches and I just said, look, should we give it a go? Because, you know, other people, what? I think there's a phrase in the film, The Edge, the David Mamet film about the, about the bear. You know that one? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, what, uh, what, what just happened, the Art Linson book that was... Uh, yeah, but it's uh, what one man can do, another can do. And we thought, well, sitcoms and stuff aren't written by idiots, although... <laughs> but... but the, and also, you know, we, we always had these things we wanted to... There were all these shows that we thought were the greatest things ever, like Faulty Towers and Vic and Bob. And then there were other shows on the other end that were just winning awards that were dreadful, real, real stinkers. We used to have a thing based on something I did at school. I mean, this is how bored we were at school, that you'd sit on a radiator and see how long you could stand it. And there was a show that... There was a show that won a BAFTA, and we, we would do the radiator test with it. We would try and watch it for longer than five minutes, and we couldn't. We felt like we were, being, uh, we were going insane, and we thought, well, if that, if that can win awards, then we just have to turn up. <laughs> fighting the urge to ask what that show was. I know you're... I can't, I yeah, can't. No, I know, it's terrible. It's horrible, when, especially if they were fans of mine, then it would really break their hearts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? It's horrible. I realised I can't do that anymore. I used to do that in that little transition between being a critic and, and, a, and, a, and someone who creates myself. I, and when Twitter came along and gave everybody a, a kind of megaphone, whether you were writing for a magazine or not, with, you know, whoever you were you were able to just kind of announce what you thought of everything. Uh, I realized, you know, it's a good idea not to do that sometimes. Is that something that you fought with? Like, having spent like years and years with Hot Press, Select and Q, uh, criticizing music or film or, or any particular type of art form, actually making that jump to put yourself out there, regardless of the fact that you liked and enjoyed comedy, plenty of people do, but making that choice to actually go, this is something that I've made, what do you think? Did you find that difficult to transition towards? Not, no, not really. I mean, it was just a completely different discipline. It's, it's just, you know, no, not really. Just, is criticism something it, it, that it's like, bothers you? Well, no, no, well, it, yeah, it does. I don't read it. That's, ah. I, I don't read it because it's, uh, 
it's, it's, someone said uh, the good reviews don't help and the bad ones hurt. So why would you read any, anything, you know? I, I think there's just certain people who, like, like there's one, one guy, I went online once and, and I noticed um, someone was writing these very long reviews of the IT crowd. And they were so long that I thought, oh, there must be something interesting in there. And they were brilliant. They were really, really well written, but, but they were full of negative things. But they were done in a very, you know, he, he often appreciated where we were, what we were trying to do and why we, why we didn't get there sometimes. And it was just great. So I hired him as a script editor. And, he, and he's now my script editor on everything I do. But I kind of, when I read it, I just thought, shit, I need this guy at the start of the process, not at the end of it. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's now, everything I write goes through him, the first drafts go through him, you know. I, I know the obvious thing would be for me to ask you what your, the best piece of advice you could give to somebody that was either in the crowd or wherever that uh, wanted to uh, move into the area that you're involved in. But go to you... America. <laughs> really? There's no money. That's depressing. That, that's a thought that'll linger. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty bad, you know? I mean, the, the, D, the DVD market has just disappeared. And so it's like, oh, okay. Uh, that was kind of uh, like a real chunk of income. And so, and so you're kind of just praying for repeats and stuff like that. And repeats stop paying after the second or third time. You don't get paid for repeats after a few times. So, you know, so it's the kind of thing that I thought... I thought, oh, well, this is the type of job that, you know, if you do well enough, you'll eventually uh, be driving around in a swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and now I realize that, no, you kind of, it's a kind of weird job now where you, you're just always uh, treading water, you know, financially. So it's, um, I, I have to say, America is, is I, I would say, I realized recently I would, I, would make, I would do better as a failure in America than a success in the UK. Because you'd have a development deal with a production company and you wouldn't have to make anything, right? No, you, yeah. You, it's, it's weird. It seems to be an industry based on making sitcoms and them not happening. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of very depressing in one, in one way. But in another way, well, why the hell not? I mean, no, it, it, no, I'm, I'm painting too a horrible picture of it. I mean, one, one solution I've come up with is to try and do more. Like, I, I, I'm working on a few different ideas at the moment. Uh, I'm doing a sitcom with Adam Buxton and doing the next series of Count Arthur and so on. And if you just do a lot of it, then it's, um, uh, then it's not so bad. But the problem is that with, especially with studio sitcoms, it's really stressful, you know? Like, like if you think of a studio sitcom... Every Friday, you're putting on a, 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 a play that will be performed to one audience once, and you'll never get another chance to get it right. So it's kind of unpleasant, <laughs> you know? And uh, it's kind of a young man's game, you know? I heard a comedian who was on earlier worrying, calling himself old at 30, and I thought, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> you know? So, you know, you kind of think, well, you need to, I don't know, I need to kind of think of a different approach to the whole thing. That's definitely something that interests me because um, being in a aforementioned mediocre indie band, it's hard to make a living, right? I, I honestly That's... don't know how bands do it. I mean, I love Spotify. I think it's an incredible service. It's amazing to have all this music at my fingertips. But 
how do how what who's how do they do it? You don't. They don't. They, yeah. That's it. But but that does lead me to something that I, I did really want to ask you about the, the future of TV, in particular when you see over the last five, six, seven years. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and Yahoo moving into, with Yahoo well, picking up But there's community. a good, good at Netflix, like people say, oh, why don't you go into Netflix and Amazon? They don't want UK stuff. They want, they, the only way they'd want UK stuff is if you came up with, I don't know, a kind of hybrid James Bond, get, solves cases with his wife, Sherlock Holmes. Shane. You know, yeah. I mean, then they might go for it because that, they'll go, oh, that, they're British. But um, if you come up with an idea that's, you know, I, it, I don't know. I don't think they're in the market for, for UK stuff, so. It's a peculiar thing, isn't it? Because, like, the UK is the biggest TV market in Europe, outside of Germany, but it's the biggest English-speaking market, obviously. But Let's talk about markets. Yeah. Whoa. No, the, the reason I... They're... 10 o'clock at night and everyone's pissed. Let's get on to markets. They're not that pissed. Fucking Bard, Bard Road right, aren't too right. happy. Ronan, Ronan, what's his name, from Boyzone, was interviewed. And they said, oh, and you're going to America soon. And he said, yeah, it's a good market. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Holy okay. shitballs. Okay, all right, well, how about this? All right, what was the best piece of advice that you received when you were the age of the aforementioned comedian who said he was too young or too oh. old at 30 to write TV? Oh, was he told that? Yeah. That's a strange thing to say to someone. Yep. No, wait, really? Was someone, did someone say that? Yep. Someone told you? No. No, uh, hypothetically, if someone was told, I feel like the age thing shouldn't be the focus. When you were coming up, regardless of what age you were, um, I'm sure there was a point in time, perhaps when you were working with Smith & Jones, for example, which was your... First major TV job? Yeah. That was yeah. before Paris and, and um, Big Train and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? So at that stage, you mustn't have had any experience in writing outside of Hot Press and the music magazines and whatnot, and the maybe spec scripts that yourself and Arthur had written. Yeah. Was there anyone that came to you and said, you know what, I'm in this game 40 years, for what it's worth, this is the one thing I wish I'd done when I was your age? Well... It wasn't quite like that. It was more like there was a, a, a lot of really nice little tiny slivers of advice that I got from various different people. Like Griffiths Jones was the first person to say, uh, when you write a sitcom, you've got to have um, them in a trap of some sort. So Craggy Island probably possibly grew out of it being a really good trap that the Catholic, we noticed the Catholic Church were pushing their naughtier priests to further and further away <laughs> from, from, from populated areas. And, uh, and, and so the idea of Craggy Island came out of, came out of a mix of that and also remembering having to read Peg when I was a kid. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah. For, for, the, uh, for, the, for the English people in the audience... Yeah, where are they? There's three, uh, that, I know. That lady. Yeah, uh, Peg is one of the many, many things that the Catholic Church do I'm, to I'm secondary have, school students. I might get PTSD thinking about Peg. Um, Jesus Christ. Fucking whole chapter on pulling the cow out of a bog. <laughs> that was the most dramatic chapter. I will take your word for it, because yeah. I would sit there pretending I understood the Irish. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was that piece of advice. And then we, then we met Jeffrey Perkins, who was the producer of uh, 
Ted, and he he just had so many different things that made me go, that hit me like, because I was with Arthur. Arthur was always the one who wanted it to be really insane. Like he wanted Ted to be more insane than it was. He wanted Ted, he wanted there to be no story. He wanted people to just fucking, I mean, there's some episodes that are a bit like that, you know? People just jumping through windows and stuff like that. And, um, and I, was, I was really excited by, he was nine years older than me, so I was really excited by, by what he was saying because it sounded very, um, uh, it's, it was just thrilling. And it led to some of the best stuff in the series, you know? But Jeffrey Perkins was the one who would always put a little bit of a, pull us back a little bit from that. Like, for instance, we, we, had, a, we had two versions of the theme tune by Neil Hannon. One was the one that, you know, it, uh, that came from, uh, what's the song called? Song, songs, of, songs of Love. Um, and Very deep the, voice. And the other, uh, and the other was, this, was this song that later became, I think, uh, A Woman of the World. And the, the, the other one was the one we wanted because it sounded, we thought, like the uh, music at the start of um, The Good Life, which was an old kind of very uh, cheesy sitcom. And we, and we were like, no, we want this music because this music's making fun of sitcoms. And we, and we want to make fun of sitcoms. We're making fun of it, you know? And Jeffrey looked really hurt and he said, why do you want to make fun of your own characters? He said, he said people will love these characters. And that made me go, Bleh. you know? <laughs> and then uh, another time was when we were looking at pictures of the house. This location guy had gone out and found all these pictures of Craggy Island, the, house, the Craggy Island parochial house. And we, and we, were, <laughs> we were looking at them, and he, would, he had a big pile of them, and we'd see a picture of a house, and we'd go, yeah, that one, yeah. And then he'd go, no! And then he'd do another one and go, that one, yeah. and, and, and he'd go, no, what are you talking about? And then finally he found the one. The, the, the big square house. He says, that's the one. And again, it was like, oh, of course. And, and these decisions that we didn't think were important because they weren't part of the comedy were, were hugely important. And, you know, you can't, you can't really imagine the parochial house looking anything like that now. It's like a kid's drawing of a house. And, um, you know, it was little things like that. So... Very long-winded answer to your question. There's lots of different people, and they just give you, you just are always, you know, you grab little bits of wisdom from various people down through the line. But no one ever sat me down and said, right, here's what you're going to do, you know. So the odds of you doing that tonight are... <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of, I, the only thing I would, I, I will give the same advice I gave. I was recently, I recently had to make a speech to some students, and my advice to them was... Uh, was that it's gone in a second. It really is. It's like one second, you're uh, 20, and the next, uh, you're going to the toilet three times a night. <laughs> and, and, and when you stand up, your knees sound like the rigging on a haunted pirate ship. <laughs> and it's very odd, because you really don't feel any different. You know? You don't feel any different to how you did when you were 20. You feel, I mean, obviously, things happen, your life changes, uh, you get uh, a broader experience of life, all that sort of thing. But I used to think there would come a time when I'd go, okay, I'm ready to die now, I can, I'm okay. <laughs> I, re let's go, you know? I, I always thought that that would happen, and now I realize, oh no, when I'm fucking 90, I'm gonna be fighting the doctors <laughs> off, because it all feels the same, <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's my advice, kids. <laughs>
Fight them to the death. Do you think that as, as time's gone by... Um, no, but enjoy it, because it goes like that. You heard it here first. <laughs> have uh, sex. Have sex without being ashamed of it. You know, don't be embarrassed. Don't uh, try and be a nice guy or a nice girl all the time. Just fucking have fun. Uh, the person you person you're, you will want to settle down with, if, they're, if, if the person you are fucking stalking is not interested in you, you're not going to get married to them. So move on from that person and wait for the insane person who likes you for who you are. I should have predicated by saying advice to do it writing. Okay. <laughs> I think this, like, this, this, this stuff is, is more important. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, no, it is. No, it's not. It's no, it's not. not. Well, no, I don't. I, I'm just going to agree with everything you say. So. No. I mean, the only thing, the only thing, I heard a great, I heard, I did hear, okay, I can give one, one great piece of advice, which is... Uh, Hold on a second. Does that mean you have several great pieces of advice? I, I've got one that I think is useful. I heard it recently, and it made me realize something very uh, important. Yeah, this guy was saying that, that writers are are divided into two uh, types, the intuitive and the conceptual. Intuitive writers are very good at, you know, crazy people jumping through windows. Uh, I would say that's author, he's a very intuitive writer. And conceptual writers are very good at structure and, um, you know, making things knit together and, and plot lines pay off and stuff like that. And if you're good at one side of that, practice the other. That's the best advice I've, I've heard in years on this because I used to think that the intuitive writers uh, just had, you know, were just nuts. It was like, why aren't you, you know, why are you only doing one draft? Why are you not tying all this stuff up? And it's not that they're crazy or wrong. It's just that they haven't really spent enough time trying to develop this other muscle. And that other muscle is really, really good to have. You know, if you're conceptual, you know, stay in the intuitive mode for a bit longer. Don't try and knit plot lines together. Stay in a mode where you're just coming up with silly ideas and having fun and not really... Uh, uh, you asked for the... You asked no, for the this advice. is brilliant. I could listen um, to this all day. And, uh, uh, and if you're the other side, then uh, study structure, read a few books on structure, you know, study other filmmakers, how they do, or, or TV, TV makers. So the, like you say that that's a piece of advice that you ha you've come across relatively recently and it's changed your perception of... Yeah, and like literally a couple of weeks ago I heard that and I thought... It was incredible. Do you think that's something that's become easier with age, the ability to collaborate or take on board other people's advice in that regard? Would the 23-year-old Graham Linehan be more headstrong in this is what I want, I want to make fun of sitcoms, you know, I have a very strong idea of who I would be as a writer compared to nowadays. Do you feel like you're more um, collaborative? Um... Maybe, I don't know, I, I, like, I, I value collaborations more because they're very good to have, they make writing easier because writing is very difficult. Writing a first draft is very hard because every, there are voices screaming in your head. This is another reason why I don't read criticism because there are continually voices in your head screaming at you that you're a complete fraud and you must stop writing right now because everything you're doing is shit, you know? Um, and so writing a first draft is very difficult because you have to ignore those voices to get to, to the end of a first draft. Um, so collaboration makes it a lot easier because, for instance, Arthur, I would fret about, you know, a new series. And Arthur, and I'd say, oh, what are we going to do? They're, you know, it's just going to be the same jokes all over again. 
This was with Ted, series two. I remember coming in and going, you know, how are we going to get, we're supposed to get 10 episodes of this. How are we going to do that, you know? And then I'd hear typing behind me, you know, because he just loved getting down to it, you know? Um, so it's always good to try and find someone else who, who, who is that other side of the coin from you. And Arthur was, as I say, completely intuitive, you know? Anyway, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I find that interesting because, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter what... you do. Well, that's the main thing. <laughs> like, we could just go somewhere and yeah, have a drink. Do you, and... do, you want, do, you want, <laughs> do you want to hang out? <laughs> Stop, I'm around. Don't. Um, Let's not I, push it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Message received. We'll, we'll get that. We'll delete that from the podcast. <laughs> um, no, I guess the reason I'm asking with the collaborative side of things is because I'm fascinated about the difference between UK and US comedy. And I know it's not entirely predicated on the fact that improv comedy is, a, is such a big component part of what makes a lot of uh, American comedy great. You know, the, it's, it's definitely an American the art second form. Second city stuff. Second city stuff, the groundling stuff, and then the UCB. But the, the whole concept that, um, for, for those of you that may not have come across improv comedy, is a, a, this guiding principle of yes and. So somebody makes uh, or creates or suggests a premise. Instead of shutting it down, you agree with the premise and try and build on it, which means that that attitude that has informed Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or before them Steve Carell all the way back to uh, Chevy Chase in the 70s, that that creates a different style of comedy. And the British sensibility, which is obviously quite similar to the Irish sensibility in many ways, is different. Um, do you find that you, because I know you're a fan of American comedy, do you find it's possible to um, incorporate those elements that you enjoy into what you do here in England? What, improv? No, not necessarily improv specifically in that like you'd allow an actor to do whatever, but just the concept of of being open to ideas. Uh, Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you have to be completely open all the time. You have to be very, very... You have to be. Uh, you have to have a little bit of. of um, you have to. You have to bend on certain things. But um, sorry, I'm actually quoting a Woody Allen movie. But 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 you don't break. You bend, but you don't break. You you kind of. Um, uh, if someone has a better idea, use it. It's that simple. I mean, you know, I'm fucking terrified every time a show goes out. I'm shitting myself. So the idea of because of my ego not accepting a better idea than what I had is. Ridiculous to me, you know. Uh, no, I'll take it a good idea from anywhere. But that might be because I'm more confident now, and I feel like I've kind of, you know, nothing to prove. Yeah. So you know, someone. I, I would imagine there's probably people around who, who haven't got there yet. So when someone else comes up with a good idea, it puts their back up a little bit, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know if I was ever like that. I, it, it's just nice hanging around with funny people and, and trying to get them to. I don't know. Everyone brings better stuff out of each other, you know? Mm. And, and if you shut that down, you know, it's not going to be good. So, um, my understanding of your writing career um, is that... I don't it, know if I answered your question, by the way. But sorry I, if I, did. I took it as I'd an answer. I'll tell you an interesting thing, though. You know, uh, Father, Te- Father Jack came from Phil Hartman in uh, Saturday Night Live, a Phil Hartman sketch. No way. Yeah, he... Um, what sketch? Uh, there was a sketch. Do you remember Ross Perot ran for president? Does he? He had a running mate called the Admiral, and the Admiral did a vice president's debate, where he basically just wandered around the stage, 
shouted things randomly and didn't really seem to know what was going on, you know? And so um, there was a sketch that they, that they did on Saturday Night Live where Ross Perot is driving the Admiral and he's going, ah, you know, you were, you were great, you know, when you looked like you didn't know what was happening, ah, that showed you were, uh, you know, showed you had mind on greater things and stuff. And Ross, the, the Admiral would just occasionally go, gridlock! <laughs> and there was certain other way his face was and stuff that really tickled me and Arthur. And we thought, wouldn't well, it be nice just to have a character who just shouted things like that every so often? <laughs> but he was only supposed to be in one sketch. And, uh, you know, we didn't think you'd see him every week. And Pearl Frank, who's an uh, Abbey-trained actor, <laughs> had to sit in the background of the shot. You know, this is a guy who could probably play Lear. He's <laughs> just sitting in the background of the shot, just thinking about girls, you know? So anyway, there's my... That's, I don't know if it, I thought that might sort of answer your, your story about American comedy. Yeah, no, it is. I'm just in, interested in the difference and, and how, like, your, your influences and your setting can change your work. Like, for example, you've been in London for decades, and, like, London is, certainly compared to Dublin, it, it's a metropolis, you know, it's, it's so busy, it's hard to get space to think or, or, or live. You're always in someone's way, somebody's always in I, your I, way. I didn't feel that. I felt the opposite. I felt um, able to disappear in London. Really? Yeah, in Dublin, I got really annoyed. Um, the, when I was writing for Hot Press, the music scene, you're walking around Dublin and you'd, I'd meet loads of people. I mean, I've got terrible name for ter terrible uh, brain for uh, people's faces or names and stuff. So I'd just be constantly going, oh, yeah, how are you, and stuff. And then never, and then who the fuck was that? I'm trying to remember, you know, and it was really annoying, and I hate being rude. So I moved to London. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just stopped coming up <laughs> as a problem, you know? And it's great, you're just completely invisible, you just float through, float through the town, and you're part of something that's really like the, just that kind of, the tube system, this kind of wonderful, you know, circulatory system going through London and it was great, you know. It felt a bit, it felt, I, it was worked for me, it really worked for me. It, it allowed me to think, it allowed me to do all the things you Do you think it allowed you to be who you became, like yeah. to, to be a different person? Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. I did it, to, I, one of the reasons I left was so I could not be uh, a person. But I've always felt like that. I always, I always want to not be the person <laughs> who I currently am. <laughs> and um, you can blame me. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really conscious of the time because I know, speaking of the corollary, the archery system of the tube, I know that people. You're still quite young. That, oh, you mean tonight? No, it was, it was a hypothetical person. It wasn't necessarily me. I've nothing to prove either. Still quite young. Yeah. <laughs> oh, quite young. Ah, the march of death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a bummer. On that note, um, I would like to offer anybody in the audience an opportunity to uh, ask a question of Graham Lennon. Uh, if you do have a question, please... You don't have to. You don't have to. Um, if you do have a question, please raise your hand and I will, um, I will ask you to ask the question. Uh, go ahead, the one guy with his hand raised. Okay, at this point we, 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 we throw the, uh, the Q&A out to the audience for, for questions, uh, but we, 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 we neglected to actually have a, a microphone out there that would actually catch any of these questions. So I'm just going to dip in now and tell you what the questions were, and then we'll go back to Graham. So the first question uh, was from a, a gentleman at the back who asked Graham, what keeps you hungry, motivated, and looking for more? 
Mm, literally being hungry. <laughs> literally thinking, oh, I need money to buy food. <laughs> you know? I think an interesting, possibly an interesting way of phrasing that is how do you keep it fun when it becomes so important to make, to make a living, you know? And that's a harder thing, I'd say. How do, how do you make it enjoyable? Because... Uh, how do you? Like, how have you struck that balance? Um, well, one thing I've tried to do is uh, I've realized that at the end of the day, I, I clock off. I don't, I don't, I no longer think, oh shit, this, this, this scene isn't working. I must not talk to anybody all night and fret about it. And you know what I mean? That yeah. does, that's, that's not good. So what I do is, uh, let's say there's a script problem. I write down all the problems with the script in a list and... I leave them there, and they're always there, and every so often I think, oh no, that one's actually sorted, and I scrape that one out. And, you know, and that's the same with rehearsal. With rehearsal on day one, we would read it, and it would never sound funny, so I would, re I would all the actors would go home, and I would rewrite it, and really, you know, make myself ill, worrying about it, and staying up late, and, and, and all that type of thing. And then the next day, I'd have to phone in, and I'd say, I won't be able to, I have to have a lie-in, so I won't be able to rehearse. So you rehearse it without me, and I'll come in later on. I'll check it out. You know, it was just—I was just making an absolute. It was hellish. So again, I now I just write down a list of problems, and every day we sort out another one or two problems until by the end of the week, there's like lit, literally one or two things, and often um, there'll be one thing, and we'll sort that out on the night. You know, because we've been thinking about it all week, and the the under the stress of the evening, when you put it in front of the audience, the answer will just kind of pop out, you know? And that's, uh, so yeah, so, so trying to treat it more like a job and less like a be all and end all is, is kind of helping that, you know? Does anybody else have a question? Um, murky blob of darkness with an arm. Okay, second gentleman asks, Graham, do you have a favorite character that you've written in your work? Well, I like, I like Pat, I love Pat Muster. most, one of the things Arthur's brilliant at is naming characters, and I'm, I'm not good at it. And, and, and any time I did come up with a good name for a character, it was because Arthur was nearby and I was saying things to make him laugh. So uh, I really miss Arthur's, because if you watch Toast of London, the names of the characters in Toast of London are just amazing, you know? What's the one? Clem Fandango. Clem Fandango. Uh, what's the guy's name? Ray Purchase. Purchase. It's kind of rude as well. It's a little bit rude somehow. Ray Purchase. It feels a little bit pornographic somehow. Um, he's brilliant at that. So, you know, I love... Funnily enough, I would say more there's certain names that I really love. I love Noel Furlong as a name. Uh, Noel Early. We had a brilliant name of one guy and we had to change it because... Actually, what was the name of... Uh, what was the name of... Because I never watch it. What was the name of... Uh, um, Oh, what's his name? Give uh, a hint. No, um, uh, no, no, no. Uh, plays with the youth band. Uh, chat show host now. Actual person. Graham Norton. What was the name of Graham Norton's character again? Noel Furlong. Yeah, he was originally called Noel Early, which I thought was a great name as well. And then um, we, they they run what's called a negative check, and they, they which means that they take they get all these names and they I don't know how they do it. They go on the internet or something, or it used to be, I guess, phone books, 
and they fucking see if there's any Noel Earleys in there. And they did, and, and you, it doesn't matter, if, it's okay if it's just a guy, but it was a priest who played guitar. <laughs> and so we had to change it to Noel Furlong. <laughs> So, um, yeah, but anyway, characters. Uh, I like the monkey priest. I was very happy with him. Um, uh, I like, I like, uh, I love, I love Ted, actually, uh, or Arthur, Arthur's character, who keeps, and, and the other priests who want to have a bit, have another mass. That really <laughs> makes me laugh. That really, really made me laugh. I loved as well talking for ages and ages and ages and then saying, is there anything to be said for another mass? <laughs> that really... And I love that that's become a bit of a thing, you know? That's great. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. There's lots of them, really, you know? I love that racist woman with the bags. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what a wonderful actress. We would say to her, just, like, you almost can't, you can't bear them so much that you physically just can't stop moving. And they just do it, you know? <laughs> yep, on it, you know? And it's like, God bless you. <laughs> Has anybody got a, another uh, question down the back? The third question comes from uh, a man who asks, in the Father Ted episode in which uh, Richard Wilson featured and Ted inappropriately shouts his... Uh, one foot in the grave catchphrase I don't believe it Adam he wants to know whether that idea for an episode was based on any of the experiences of the Father Ted cast out in the public having Father Ted catchphrases shouted at them yeah yeah and the, and the, the, the actors would be going around uh, to, to Ardell and Frank you know being shouted at all the time so we thought we'd do something about about that phenomenon. But, but the, the reason we came up with that was because we were invited to see Cirque du Soleil at, by Hattrick. Uh, every so often, we get some weird invitation like this, and they go, oh, do you want to come and see Cirque du Soleil with Jimmy Mulville and all the Hattrick bods? And we're like, yeah, that sounds really like something I wouldn't normally do. So we went, and um, it was all these acrobats, and they were all with, with little, you know, uh, gay sprites just kind of, you know, uh, putting hoops, hoops around themselves and, and uh, you know, standing on each other's hands. And uh, in front of us was, uh, was, was, was Richard uh, Wilson from One Foot in the Grave. And, and Arthur and I just started thinking, oh, God, because we would always think, what would be the worst thing you could do in... <laughs> In, in a certain, that was the thing that made us laugh the most and it often gave rise to ideas is that we would go, what is the worst thing we could do? And of course, the worst thing you could do is anytime someone did something amazing, you go, I don't believe it. And as soon as I mentioned, as soon as whoever it was mentioned this to the other person, we couldn't stop laughing for the rest of the thing. And then we just thought, fuck, we should ask him, we should do it. And so we wrote three, the three scenes that he's in and sent them to him the next day, I think, and uh, he agreed, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, we have time for two more questions, so if there's, yeah, please. Our fourth question uh, came from an audience member who wanted to know whether any of the characters in any of Graham's shows were based largely on him. No, um, they're all a bit uh, like me. Uh, apparently, <laughs> Ardell based Dougal on me to some extent, and but Dermot, Ted was a bit like me in the sense that, you know, I'd be, I'd be talking about, you know, oh God, I must read this book, but I'd be secretly reading The Shining. 
Um, Did I read somewhere that you were originally, you wanted to play Chris O'Dowd's part in the IT crowd? Yeah, it was the longest silence I've ever heard from a Channel, <laughs> channel 4 executive. I said, I was thinking maybe I could play it. Just dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I thought, that's probably a sign I shouldn't do it. Uh, but, but yeah, um, that would have been a terrible mistake. I'm very, very glad it didn't happen. <laughs> One last question. Oh, sorry, yeah, down the back. I, I don't know if I, I finished that. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, Dylan Moran, Black Books is a bit of me as well in there. Kind of, yeah, <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of using Dylan's voice a little bit to say things I wanted to say as well, you know, it's that type, type of thing. Go ahead. Final question from the audience came from a man who wanted to know why Graham didn't seem to have a particular interest in moving into movies and films. Um, possibly because films are a little bit more shaky. You never know whether they're going to get made or not. I know some people who are still uh, hefting a script around to millions of people and it's, you know, it's just sitting there and they go a little bit mad, they become a bit like Captain Ahab. Uh, I, I didn't want that to happen. But at the same time, I also don't really have the um, skills. Uh, uh, I think to, to write a good film, you have to write a lot of bad ones. And I've just never had the time to write a lot of bad films. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, okay, well, unless anybody has any pressing questions that they would like to ask Graham then, and well, they can't, well, we have him captive here on stage. Um, I'd like to uh, uh, say thank you very much for joining us on stage, Mr. Graham Linehan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. The wonderful Graham Linehan there talking to the normal Neil Conlon <laughs> on stage there at the 100 Club in Oxford Street in London. Uh, good job, Neil. Thanks. Was that fun? It was really excruciating and nerve-wracking. Um, it was quite tense at the start for a while yes it, well it, it was a, it was a little bit tense because we put Graham we, we put Graham on directly after uh, a rather harrowing spoken word thing which you will hear I'm not going to say what it was but you'll hear that throughout so it was kind of it was a it was a bit of a it was a bit of an ask to go into sort of a jaunty comedy uh, Q&A but I, I thought you both did brilliantly uh, so yeah good job Thanks. Good job. I wish people could see your face when you say good job because it looks like you didn't mean good job with your eyes. Yeah. Well, that's you went like this. Good job. <laughs> see what I'm doing with my face here. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's a private thing between you and me. So um, one of many. One of many. So hope you enjoyed uh, our first episode back of series two. We'll be back next Wednesday and every Wednesday there for thereafter until we run out of puff. Um, with uh, another episode so um, I guess until then uh, do make sure you uh, rate and subscribe to us on uh, iTunes you, if you are if you listen to podcasts you know the deal it really helps and it helps us get up the uh, iTunes chart and will help us meet other audience members we meet find find other audience members and the like uh, so please do that and uh, tell your friends that it's a good podcast. And let us know what you think. Send yeah. us a, a, a message on Facebook or, or tweet us. Um, we would love to know what you think. This week's podcast was produced by Eilish Bracken and was mixed and edited by Emma Butt, who did a great job despite our best efforts to give her the worst possible audio that we've ever recorded. Um, thank you very much for listening and see you next week. See you next week. Bye.